Welcome to another in a series of conversations with leaders. My name is Mike Desjardins, and I'm the CEO at Virtus. Uh, today, I'm here as an individual, um, speaking from my own journey and my own perspective, uh, not that of my company and my career. And I'm here with my friend, Yabom Gilson-Jackson. And Yabom, I'll let you introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, always, always a pleasure to be in conversation with you. And uh, thank you for having me back. Um, in, in these conversations. My name is Yabom Gilpin Jackson, and it's a pleasure um, to be talking to any of you that are listening uh, or have you listening on our conversation. Uh, I am joining today as a, as a person in the world, really, that um, really deeply cares about the work that we do um, in organizations around justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, and all the different labels we're putting on this work of being better human beings in the world and um, care about how we enact that in organizations and in the world around us. I identify as an organization development uh, practitioner and scholar. I do this work in my day job. Um, in the BC public sector and a chief people officer role at BCLC. Um, I do it in my consulting and private life and um, in my teaching and speaking. So happy to be here um, on these traditional, yeah. unceded and ancestral territories of the Tekamlupsh Teshwatmik peoples um, here in the place in British Columbia that um, we in colonial terms call Kamloops, um, a place that has had a lot of reckoning in itself mm -hmm. in recent times. So. And I'll also share, uh, and from colonial terms, I am on what is now called Galliano Island, um, but I'd like to acknowledge that I'm currently standing on the shared, asserted, and unceded territories of Lamulcha, Penelicut, Haltium First Nations, and other Pocomatum-speaking people, uh, Sincotton and Wisconsin-speaking people, and any others that have rights and responsibilities uh, around what is now called Galliano Island. And I'd also mm -hmm. like to acknowledge that this is the ceded territory of the Lawson First Nation. Yeah. Um, and, and interestingly, um, just to kind of dive into the conversation, I mean, one island away is the Penelicut First Nation territory, uh, which is where the Copper Island uh, Indian Residential School, where mm -hmm. bodies were found last month, actually, which is part of the conversation that we're having today. Our last conversation, which you can check out on this podcast, just over a year ago, and that conversation was really around my desire to learn how to be a better ally after the work that we were doing as an organization, but also my own personal work around white supremacy and uh, white privilege, uh, particularly having read the book um, White Supremacy by Leila Thoth. And I reached out to Yabom and said, as a Black person, I don't have any desire for you to teach me or others how not to be racist. That's not your job. But I also know that you are very articulate, uh, both in your writing and in your videos. And I had read quite a number of things that you'd posted on your personal blog. And I said, I want, as an ally, I would like to magnify and amplify that message and push it out to the leaders that I have access to through all the organizations that we work with across Canada to the U.S. And you're very gracious to take the time to have that conversation and share as a Black woman, as a human being, as a leader in the community, what your experience was, what you're seeing, what where you were at in your journey, and just what, what you were witnessing in the world. And... Yes. This conversation really came as the news cycle, as it does, uh, COVID hit. 
And then we have now we're sitting here within um, August of 2021 and we have variants of COVID, multiple variants of COVID. We have a potential for a federal election to be called tomorrow. We have the news cycle in the U.S. and everything that's going on there. We have the U.S. pulling out out of Afghanistan and all the things that are happening there. And my concern is that the conversation around uh, Black Lives Matter, around mm-hmm. supporting the BIPOC community, mm-hmm. um, and as you said in our last chat, the rise in anti-Asian hate mm-hmm. that has occurred in the, the past uh, six months in particular, and then as well is the Indigenous rights and everything that has happened with um, an understanding about residential schools and what happened since the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, that brings us current to today. And so it's a big I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. that's a big conversation, and I, <laughs> I think I know I'll, sp- I'll speak for myself, and then and I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself, uh, Yabom. I am not coming to this as a proxy for any of the Absolutely. communities that I just referenced. I'm not coming as an expert by any stretch of the imagination. I am mm-hmm. coming, I am an interested, curious human being, and I want to continue to educate myself. And part of how I do that is through conversation. And I had a wonderful conversation this morning to help me understand the land that I'm currently standing on yeah. and the lands that are around me. You can see Maine Island, um, yeah. the colonial name of Maine Island in the background. And this is active past here as well. So I think just to, just to be very, very clear, that's the perspective I will speak from today. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, Boom, I'll let you share your, or the perspective that you'd like to speak from today. Yeah, uh, very similar. Uh, Likewise, um, I definitely do not represent all of the diversities in uh, the Black community or all of the experience that Black um, women uh, tend to have in the world, but I represent part of that community. and, And so just speak from as I will always say, from my lived experiences and as um, I, in my scholarship, I identify as an applied social sciences. So to the extent mm-hmm. that, um, you know, m- many people in the spe- field have talked about to the extent that troubles personally felt can be put in the public eye, that is scholarship and research in itself that, mm-hmm. that um, and a way to access research questions and a way to um, access deeper understanding that we often miss when we just look at uh, aggregated broad data sets and don't disaggregate and don't look at the mm-hmm. outliers and don't understand experience. So I am stepping into this conversation always from a lifelong learner perspective, mm-hmm. uh, someone that's interested in using um, my own personal ex- to understand social phenomena and use that to advance my scholarship and my research. So that's who I am Wonderful. in this conversation. And can I say, I just love how it, um, for uh, Indigenous friends and colleagues, if you're listening to us, and if we at all um, muddled any of the names of um, these traditional ancestral territories, just to note that and ask for your grace, I am loving how all of us that are interested in stepping into this conversation are having to learn uh, the names of the territories and places where we've been living for a long time, often unconscious um, for me starting to dig deeper and trying to understand a bit more the meanings behind the names. I come from an Indigenous culture where meanings matter as well. Um, And just a call out uh, both for for grace for my Indigenous relations and um, for everyone else to, you know, it's it's messy and we're all muddling our way through. The only way to do this work is to do it, um, even when it's uncomfortable and messy. And I'm, I'm not sure if we actually muddled any pronunciation. Oh, I'm sure. I, I'm that. sure I did. I, 
I've been working on this all morning to try to get it right. In, and I'm sure I didn't do it. And it I'm justice, not always but sure I as well. Yeah. To know that the spirit of, and the intent behind it is to uh, have a recognition of the territories uh, that each of us are uh, standing on uh, right now and are speaking from. And yeah. uh, so I appreciate and you asking for grace yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, in, yes. that, in that regard. As you sit back and, uh, and, and, and to further the conversation around the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and what we're discovering and continue to discover around the Canadian residential schools. Chad was sharing with me this morning a couple of facts. One, that the residential schools, um, the last one closed in 1996, and that there are still boiled water advisories in place for Indigenous populations that have been in place for 30 years. The other fact he shared with me is that, that you have a bet, you had a better chance of surviving World War II as a Canadian soldier than mm. you did of surviving a residential school mm. in mm. Canada if you were mm. from the Indigenous population. And that's mm. an astounding statistic. We are also sitting currently where, where, where I'm standing uh, in the Salish Sea. Uh, this had the highest population density of Indigenous lands in the world. And mm -hmm. the actual population that was here has actually been vastly underestimated in the past by colonists. And there were some very good reasons why, uh, self-serving reasons why that was why that was done. So I wanted to, to lay that piece from part for the Indigenous piece of the conversation, uh, just to give people background. If you haven't had a chance to learn more about this particular topic, I think Yabom shared with me a wonderful podcast, uh, uh, Judge Murray mm -hmm. Sinclair mm -hmm. uh, did with CBC. I'll put it in the show notes, actually, you can just click on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it is a wonderful job uh, so describing the history, what happened with Truth and Re Reconciliation Commission, what happened after that, what's happening with uh, residential schools and the discoveries of the grave, the numbers that you hear uh, when graves are brought up is not the numbers. Those are not Absolutely. the numbers. Absolutely. I'm curious. I wanted to just lay a bit of that foundation uh, for us in this conversation, because I'm quite curious um, when you sit back in the quiet times and you reflect about what's happening, what, what do you wish that somebody who read a, a story in the newspaper uh, or listen to something briefly on the radio and said, oh, I, I kind of understand what's going on. What do you wish that they uh, actually knew? That's a great question. I think for me, um, you know, so, so as we go through this conversation, I'm going to use anti-oppression broadly to um, speak about social injustices of, of all kinds. And then I'll be specific to the different forums, you know, as you, as right. you listed them earlier, there's a lot of different ways to think about these issues. And we know that the specificity is important so that people mm -hmm. don't collapse everything, which right. is going to be part of my answer. Um, don't collapse everything. And therefore in the process of having everything together, sort of, uh, abdicate the responsibility of understanding specific contexts and mm. understanding specific changes and solutions and new ways of being that are needed in all the different contexts of um, oppression and um, social marginalization that, that again, as I said in the last podcast, that we have created as human mm -hmm. beings. Um, we have created the societies that we're in, we've designed them and they're operating perfectly in the way that they were designed. And the work um, going on all over the world right now um, is, as the term that's being used, is to decolonize the social mm. systems and structures that we've created so that it works for all. 
and not only um, for some segments of, of the world, right? And so what I would wish for as we hear the news, um, I'm going to stick with um, our indigenous context and the question of um, reconciliation uh, as uh, uh, the term that we're using to understand that all of us that are settlers, including myself as an immigrant to um, the lands we called Canada, um, uh, in spite of the rest of my social identity, I have come and settled on mm -hmm. lands that were colonized and came into a context that um, probably that made that possible on the atrocities mm -hmm. of, um, of this place. And so my wish is that we will all not essentialize and generalize the issues, that we will take the time um, through self-study, through communities in our organizations, through the opportunities you mentioned, um, your friend um, that's a professor, through our institutions, um, through our libraries, um, Google it for crying it out loud right. through and make <laughs> sense of make sense of what is um, credible uh, media to consume. My wish is that we will stay on this journey of understanding before knee-jerking to any kind of answers, solutions, responses. And so twofold, and that we would also, once we have taken, taken that pause and a measured approach to understand what's before us, that we will each, no matter where we are, who we are, where we find ourselves, that we will each choose, make that conscious choice to do something, anything. Many people who, I, when I speak, I often talk about the power of putting action behind intention, no matter how small. Mm -hmm. I think often in the space of these conversations about um, anti-oppression that I'm a part of, often people go, but it's overwhelming. How? How is taking that first one small step? Um, you know, th this is, I'm not going to go a lot into my background. I want us to uh, stay in the conversation. Um, but I often talk about really, for me, hitting those points of realization. Um, that point I described the last time we spoke when my children started coming home, asking me questions about their identity prompted by uh -huh. strangers and people uh -huh. at school, asking them questions about their identity that they were confused about because in their minds at their young ages, they were Canadians living life right. like every other Canadian. I can specifically to actions, small things that I, I took on as a result of all of those encounters. One small thing that led to another thing that led to writing a paper that led to a conference talk that led to um, all these um, ripple effects um, that have allowed me to be in conversations like the one we're having, Mike, and mm -hmm. others, or be on these um, uh, panels and conference platforms and done this doctorate. I was very clear that I wanted to stay in practice as um, an organization development uh, leader, scholar, practitioner. I was very clear. Um, my time has not yet come to go, for example, fully into academia. That's a question people will often ask me because I love being in practice. I love engaging with leaders. I love um, doing the work that's needed to create thriving workplaces, group spaces. I love that. Um, and I want to keep doing it alongside thought leadership. Point that I decided, okay, 
And I want to at least, I'm, what I'm going to do is at least work on writing and publishing one thing a year, one scholarly mm -hmm. piece a year. And I remember that first paper that I tried to publish. I remember the rejections. I remember, right. you know, shopping it around the journals and getting no right. after no or getting such overwhelming peer review viewed feedback that I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, and yet thinking that it was important because part of why it felt so important to me was my lived experiences and the questions I was wrestling with were not in the literatures, were not in the journals, not across the board. I'm sure there were mm -hmm. some in different places. I'm not claiming that I have, you know, uniquely created space for some of the experiences that I have that are shared. But in the ways and in the literature and in the spaces that I was encountering, I wasn't seeing it. And so I persevered through that um, mm -hmm. until I got that one publication. And then that led to another one. And that led to, mm -hmm. you know, someone else saying, hey, you want to co-write this thing with me? And it sort of opens um, the possibilities. And so my encouragement across the board is take the pause, take mm -hmm. the time to understand and then choose choose your mm -hmm. unique contribution, choose mm -hmm. the one thing, the small thing that you can do in your family, in your workplace, in your community, do it and trust that in doing that from the right intention, um, that you're going to meet other people that care about the same things. And, you this, know, this is an example, be a lone right? hero. <laughs> this is an, we're, we're living that example yes. that you're describing right now. I mean, neither yes. of us is, is declaring ourselves as an expert in this space. Um, it would it could be considered risky for you and I to have this conversation. I'm a 49 year old white man. I'm the problem in the world, right? So, uh, or or I would be stereotypically referred to as a problem in the world. And so, thank uh, you for qualifying that. Yeah, and <laughs> yes. and so and then not to get myself off the hook by any stretch. Yes. But, um, but so I think you know just there is either I, I've heard a wonderful quote and I unfortunately can't attribute it, but the quote was. Uh, trying is doing. Yes. And so if you're thinking about, well, I don't want to screw up or I don't, you know, what if I don't get it right? Or yes. what if I'm yes. perceived as ignorant or um, what if I'm called out um, yes. or what if I'm, or what if I'm called in? Yes. Um, right. And so I think there's, it's easy to say, there's lots of reasons why I wouldn't do it. I was on a, a call and someone was describing the various uh, terms they were hearing today. You mm -hmm. mentioned decolonization as an example mm -hmm. of places and names and understanding where we all stand and live as one example. And uh, the person at, was mentioning, well, you know, there's all these terms, whether it's diversity or equity or inclusion or anti-racism. And she listed a whole bunch of things and said, I, I don't like, I, I, I'm not sure where to start. I don't, so I don't do anything. And mm -hmm. my response was to that, because it, it was posed in, as kind of a question about where do you even get started? And I said, well, I would start with just understanding what those words mean. Um, yeah. So if you hear a word and you say like, I don't, I don't understand what that word means, as you say, if only we had access to uh, worldwide information at our fingertips, <laughs> right? Google search it and yeah. get an answer because you, know, you may find, I know for me um, by doing the work and, and educating myself, it led me down the path because I was trying to find information from trusted sources. And one of those trusted sources ended up being you. Now you and I knew each other mm -hmm. and we, 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 our companies work together. And so we have history yeah. in that way, but that's not why. Yeah. 
it, yeah. it, it, I read what you wrote and I, I wouldn't have read, I might not have read that, or I definitely would have read it. What I probably wouldn't have read it in the lens. I would have read it more of the lens of, oh, you're articulate and well-spoken and you've really thought about this a lot. And then I would have stopped, but I was on a mm -hmm. path. And mm -hmm. so reading mm -hmm. it inspired me to think, oh, well, what's next? And I think that your point is, um, you know, let's not shoot for perfection. Just try, start and do something. And maybe something, if you're listening right now, maybe something is just, hey, I, I heard a couple of terms that, that Yabo mentioned or that Mike mentioned, and I'm unclear about what those terms mean. Is that one of your children behind you? Yes. That's so <laughs> Here wonderful. Here comes the child. It's wonderful. <laughs> COVID times. I thought I locked yeah. the door. I didn't. <laughs> no, and you know what? It's so funny because I, I, the number of calls that I'm on where somebody's apologizing for their dog, their cat, their children, yeah. uh, their spouse, their partner no coming apology. in and out of the room, I'm like, the entire globe is living yeah. this experience. That's so right. nobody ever needs to apologize for any <laughs> noise, person, animal, object, whatever happens in the background is just the current situation we're all living in. It's just yeah. part of our lives. So yeah. So anyway, I wanted to call it out just because I can see somebody hiding behind you there. That's, adorable. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and we have children the same age. So <laughs> yes. yeah, exactly. So, I think that, uh, so I, I, I appreciate you sharing your context and, and what, where you're, where you're thinking right now. Um, yeah. uh, and, and what you're thinking about I, it, because we're on the, or we started in the topic of, uh, indigenous, uh, from an indigenous lens perspective, I'd love to talk about Canada day because Canada day did not feel good this year for the first time in 49 years. I mean, I probably don't remember the younger years, but, uh, in my adult years, I can say that I've always looked forward to Canada Day. I saw it as a celebration of who we are as Canadians. I'm very proud to be called a Canadian when I travel the world. Um, and uh, I, I identify with that, but it just felt uh, different. It felt different mm -hmm. this year because all of a sudden I felt like, oh, we're celebrating when a bunch of people showed up and decided to rename a place that already had names. Uh, mm -hmm. and started renaming everything um, yeah. with names that fit for Europe uh, because they felt comfortable that were the last names of people that happened to be driving the boat. Um, and that ended up uh, wiping out, uh, you know, 100,000 years of Indigenous history uh, or attempting to, including um, trying to attach property rights in a colonial way uh, that really was not how the land was honored and appreciated and territory was respected uh, here in North America. That is not, and even saying North America, but this land was not um, uh, experienced in that way before mm -hmm. uh, colonial settlers came here. So I'm curious for you, um, what Canada Day, what was Canada Day, did Canada Day feel different to you? And if it did, what are the, the thoughts, the feelings and emotions that came up for mm -hmm. you? Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, what we call Canada Day was really hard for me this year. Um, in the context of what we've been talking about, uh, I live 10, 15 minutes from the um, Kamloops Residential School, um, where the 215, again, as you've qualified, you know, those are the public numbers or the numbers that are, are available. There's more context to understand around all of it. Um, in all the historical complexities, but I live really close to that. And that happened not long before um, 
Canada Day. And so between that, and, and I'll tell you the other thing, I was also um, feeling a lot of, uh, well, <laughs> you asked how I was feeling a lot of things. Um, I was feeling the heaviness of grief as a parent. Um, I was feeling like unable to imagine and in fact doing what our human brains do in terms of blocking out um, some of that um, felt pain of, of, of trying to imagine what that must uh, have been like for families and the children that were going through the violence that they were going through. I was feeling that. I was also feeling often uh, people with generational uh, atrocities in their history you know, that impact of the, the affinity of being a Black uh, person, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in our social constructions, and thinking about the parallel atrocities that Black peoples experienced in, in these North Americas, as you said earlier, um, and those impacts as well. So really in a in a really embodied, almost physical way, uh, I sometimes had to distance myself um, from the for coming back because those those parallels were very present for me and then uh, another thing about that was I would say feeling hurt in response to some callous comment that and that's my word uh, in terms of how they they impacted and landed for me that that I I had heard um, being thrown around and I'll say specifically what that is because when you and I reconnected about hey should we do a follow-up to the podcast we talked about or the last conversation I realized we're on video um we we talked about with all the news cycle and as as eras change um and this is what something many people have been saying and I have also said it's going to be easy for people to get past the moment of their awareness of Black Lives Matter last year uh, Mm -hmm. which of course that was a movement that was always here both in the Mm -hmm. formal movement and um, the community movement and all the ways in which people have been doing that work part of our context was that yeah people will have moved on from that and we talked about Mm -hmm. naming this conversation black lives still matters and then we talked about the context of canada day and the indigenous reality we're living and wanted to center that conversation as well i bring that up because a lot of what i was hearing um, thrown around was, well, in Canada, the most important work is reconciliation. We need to prioritize the Indigenous conversation. We don't need to worry about, um, you know, the anti-Black racism conversation. That's a U.S. thing. Um, We just need to prioritize um, Indigenous reconciliation in Canada. I was carrying that deep hurt leading up to Canada Day because I had heard that comment thrown around more than once. Because for me, that is the classic example of anti-Black racism and why people that are working for social justice and in the anti-oppression spaces have been asking specifically that we name rather than essentialize all the different groups, um, equity, deserving dignity deserving like every other human being groups that have been oppressed and marginalized historically and in the present and for me this was and also the kinds of people people in power positions that were saying this for me mm-hmm. just said that here we are very quickly dismissing mm-hmm. and returning to mm-hmm. the constructs that continue mm-hmm. to fuel anti-Black mm-hmm. racism, and to continue mm-hmm. to deny that Canada mm-hmm. was 
and still has a part in the historical and the present anti-Black racism um, mm-hmm. issues that are very alive. Um, mm-hmm. Even even this year in Canada, um, mm-hmm. there are uh, Black families that are grieving losing children because mm-hmm. they called for help in mental health crises. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the next thing you know, their children had died um, yeah. as a result of um, encounters uh, with authorities that are supposed to protect them. Um, I'm deliberately, I'm moving away as much as we, we lean into saying names. I'm also leaning into, I want to keep this conversation. Let's talk about the social phenomena. Um, and that's why I appreciated earlier when you, you, you said you, you sort of qualified your um, social identity and the way that you might be located as a, a white male of, of an age group, you know, middle age and beyond that socially have been power holders. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to acknowledge that uh, a lot of the work I do is also encouraging people and we all have choices. We can locate ourselves um, mm-hmm. in, in being part of the solution forward. So I appreciated you making that distinction between social identity and personal identity and social power and personal power, which is kind of what you did. <laughs> so I just want to underscore here that let's be very careful as we tread mm-hmm. forward. Um, I know we started this conversation around Canada yeah. Day um, and this was my flag, this Canada Day, mm-hmm. this was my background for um, the weeks, uh, the Canada Day week and beyond to acknowledge the indigenous um, context and reality and conversations we were having, having. And I was also grieving the language that I was hearing that was reinforcing mm. anti-Black racism in the mix. I also want to say before I give it back to you, I know my um, Indigenous colleagues and friends, um, the ones I know and the ones that I don't know in the Indigenous community, um, do not condone that language or that thinking. Our Canadian Indigenous peoples um, uphold all my relations. And having done direct work with um, Indigenous colleagues around even conversations in the Vancouver area around um, anti-racism and anti-oppression, I have worked closely with that community in the conversation of we all collectively need to work both for um, reconciliation, reparations, restoration of dignity for our individual communities and collectively as peoples that have experienced historical and current oppressions and marginalization. So I don't think this is something that Indigenous peoples um, condone or think that um, anti-Black racism should be put on the side while we advance the reconciliation agenda. And anyone that cares for these issues understands that as long as one of us is hurting, all of us are hurting. And we need to address these issues all together, collectively, and with the same fervor that we put towards social justice and change for everyone. This is not even leaving behind those who have been in power structures. That is not what Mm -hmm. this is about because often that's the counter argument I hear. This is rebalancing the inequities in the world because it serves all of us into the future. I'll, that, I'll stop you've, you've, no, it's just, just a small rant. I'm trying to keep track of my thought process while listening to you because you've brought up so many uh, valuable points. I think I'm going to go backwards because that might be easier. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so anti-racism. I think I just want to speak to anti-racism first. Um, that 
not being racist, we spoke about this in the, in the other podcast that we did, that not being racist is not the same thing as anti-racism. Um, and the, the responsibility uh, that we have in all circumstances of racism is to understand how the racism occurred in the first place, understand how uh, I may have been complicit in it, un unknowingly or knowingly, um, own that, and then understand what are the actions I can take to, uh, to, act, to be anti-racist. So saying I'm not racist, I don't say racist things anymore, or I don't currently is not good enough. Uh, we need to take action to do things that are helping to end racism. And that is racism against Indigenous people. It is uh, racism against Black people. Black it is racism against Asian, Asian people. Any group people that is of color, racially profiled, people of color, anyone that is um, uh, that has been oppressed in some way where racism has been used to uh, demean, to diminish, to disparage, to create a lack of equity, um, and to reduce a person's humanity. And I think, you know, the, the analogy that popped into my mind, and, and I'm a big fan of analogies, I know they don't work for everyone, but the, the analogy that pops into my mind is that if I was driving down the street and I witnessed a car accident, I didn't cause a car accident, but I'm going to stop mm -hmm. and I'm going to go find out if everybody's okay. And if they're not okay, then I'm going to do whatever I can to try to help them. Mm -hmm. And so the argument that, well, I didn't cause any of this harm that was happening, that happened in the past, um, but I'm aware of it. There is always an action you can take. And I think that the response of, I'm not sure what I can do is always the easy way out, right? Well, I'm not sure what I can do. You know, I've been like, well, educate myself first. I think that for me has been the key has been I need to educate myself and talk to people who are more knowledgeable than I am so that I understand a deeper sense of the issue. I think Murray Sinclair in the podcast, what I, what really stuck with me in his words is if, if I don't understand the intergenerational trauma yeah. that is present in a person's life today. So I'll give you an example. Um, there are people that survived residential school yes. who are alive today. Yes. And they have trauma from the loss of the people they cared about, from being ripped away from their family, but from the from the death that was around them and okay. from what was applied to them. But there are also second generation and third generation, uh, because the residential schools go back so far, yeah. who so their grandparents or their parents were in residential schools. But what Murray Sinclair talks about is is if you don't understand the residential schools from the, what happened to our indigenous population in a trauma-focused lens, if you don't understand it from, inter, from an intergenerational trauma perspective, then it will be very difficult to empathize and be a party to the conversation. So I wanted to just bring that up from that podcast. And then I think your, your comment about Black Lives Matter and, and that we were going to call this, originally we were going to call this Black Lives Still Matter. And then we said, but wait, residential schools, uh, truth and reconciliation, um, anti-Asian hate, like these things are going on. In we the context where we live, yeah. Yeah, and so it's gotta be part of the conversation. But from a Black Lives Matter perspective, my biggest concern was the Black Lives Matter when another named Black person uh, is murdered and, uh, uh, and, and it hits the news. Is that when Black Lives Matter? Yes. Because yes. that's what happens with a news cycle. And, yes. and I think continuing to have what for many people, I think, and, and uh, even myself can feel like an uncomfortable 
conversation because of a feeling of risk, because of a feeling of a lack of knowledge, because of a feeling of saying the wrong thing, but continuing to have these conversations and to continue to keep it uh, top of mind because we are not done. And if you're from a Black Lives Matter perspective, I think, and, and please correct me if, if, if you feel there's a, a better resource, but I think the New York Times uh, 1619 project has done a, a solid job of of explaining the history from you know 500 mm -hmm. years ago uh, or 400 and something years ago, I should say, to today, mm -hmm. of what occurred and and why are we having the conversation about racism and Black Lives Matter? Like there is a there's 400 years of history, of evidence, yeah, right of evidence. Just same thing yeah. with with the indigenous population and what goes back to the original colonial settlers here in what is now called North America and. I think just educating and understanding it, because when my daughter was asking me um, this afternoon, she says, oh, I know you're talking to your friend this afternoon. And I said, yeah, I'm doing a podcast. And, and she said, you've been, you've been working on the land acknowledgement. Is that what you're doing? And I said, yeah, I'm trying not to mess up the, the names of the different indigenous peoples um, and languages, a land acknowledgement. And, um, and she's well aware of what a land acknowledgement is. Yes. She said, well, why are you having this conversation? So I gave her the background of the conversation and she is, yeah. I can't, so much more educated uh, than I was as an adult and she's nine. And, yes. you know, yeah. right. She's, she's, there is this learning that she's, we've had many conversations about residential schools in the car uh, yes. where she's heard something or she's heard Sabrina and I talking about it. And then she's like, well, what happened? Explain it to me. And we've walked her through it. And she's like, that's wrong. Like, oh, how, 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 why are we just learning about this? And I'm like, that's the thing. That's that's the problem. Is that we're we're still we're still in. I feel like we're still trapped in that. We're still learning about it. That speaks nothing towards what we need to do for society. I wanna I wanna pick up a few threads and bridge a few yeah, things you. that you were saying. I'll start right there with where you ended with education and that distinct uh, difference between your experience and your daughter's experience. And then I was thinking of my daughter saying this Black History Month, oh, mom, please tell me they're not just going to do some quick assembly. Oh, so it's Black History Month, blah, blah, blah. And oh, then that's right. It. Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking of my experience and you as you were talking. Um, I, I did um, elementary and secondary school um, in the parent the the country where my parents um, are from and where I identify as well as Sierra Leonean. And um, in Sierra Leone, I went through the British educational system. And I'm listening to right. you and going, and then there was me growing up in an independent African country, also yeah. learning European history. Right. <laughs> Very, like I'm sure you could talk all about World War One and World War II, right? and having to <laughs> self-educate. In, yeah. in fact, having to leave that context and come back out to the West to even realize how colonial my education was, I didn't even realize because I was just absorbing it. So, right? So, how, how would we when, know any different as a child? I mean, in school, you're yes, like, sure. this is this for is sure. history, so learn it, and then we'll test you yes. on it. And then you're yeah. just left to think that's the way, that's everything you need to know. That's the whole yeah. thing. So, so the reminder for everyone that, um, you know, um, Indigenous Black and people of color, um, we are not exempt from having been colonized in our mindset. And, and so when words like decolonizing, uh, decolonizing our systems and our structures and our thinking um, are, are put out there, uh, just for the collective that often thinks, oh, that's for some people, not for, it's for all of us. Like this is the work of being better humans going forward into the future and creating systems work 
for our generations that heals where we have hurt and wounded each other and that creates um, a, a world that works across the board. That's what this is about. So I wanted to pick mm. up that thread. I also wanted to bridge um, the, the context of anti-racism that we're talking about um, and action, those three things, mm. because I think perhaps um, it might be overwhelming um, for people to be listening and going, well, well, I'm supposed to to figure out what action I can take care of a small, but there's so much. And mm -hmm. if I if I dismiss um, uh, anti-black racism and take on something else, then then you know maybe that's problematic in the way I described. I, I want to be clear specifically the thinking that um, resolving anti-black racism can wait or that mm -hmm. we can prioritize one over the other, mm. that's racist thinking. Mm -hmm. And no waiting race 400 years. So correct. Correct. We've been waiting 400 years, projects like 1619 Project, phenomenal. And there's so many resources out there right now. And remember also that even in our context, um, you know, August 1st was the first time we recognized Emancipation Day in Canada, which is um, the official um, day that um, uh, enslaved people were, were freed in British North America and in the Caribbeans, et cetera. Um, August 1st this year is the first time that was recognized. Um, after slavery um, was abolished, et cetera, slave owners were paid for losing property. Mm. Black loyalists and um, freed Black peoples that were promised land were not given their land, not been repaid mm. in any way mm -hmm. for the impact. Nothing will, will compensate for mm -hmm. the intergenerational traumas, nothing. But even mm -hmm. on that surface level, that is still uh, has never been resolved. And so the idea that, oh, this can wait, let's just prioritize this, that's the issue. Now, that doesn't mean that you as an individual can't choose to be an ally in one space or the other. It mm -hmm. also you're open and listening and supporting. I am not um, actively participating in all the spaces and movements for anti-oppression, mm -hmm. right? I am not, because um, we are all one person or we're connected to a group that's passionate about one thing or the other. So that's okay. This is not to say that you, you have to um, actively be in action on all of these things. That's exhausting and depleting for any one person. The reality, though, is that you can um, create an, an anti-oppressive, anti-racist mindset across the board and mm -hmm. know that even your words and action, uh, your words are part of the action to change narratives and to change mm -hmm. thinking. So that when mm -hmm. you hear something like, oh, let's not worry about that in Canada, it's not so much of an issue, you are educated enough to pause that um mm -hmm. and say something even if you're not in action say in the black community or mm -hmm. or you know actively so so i just wanted to make that distinction so mm -hmm. as, um to qualify we all don't need to do everything um however the work that needs to be done is both about social consciousness and narrative and as and as well as specific actions to um, decolonize our systems and our structures and to um, ensure equity in all our structures and ensure a belonging, that's work across the board. And we need to support that in our language, in our thinking, mm -hmm. and in how we show up, even if we're not actively in action in all of the spaces. 
I was going to to say, what have we missed? But I, I can't, we have to end on that note because that was so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautifully said. Um, uh, well, okay, so is there anything, I mean, I, I wanna end there, but I also want to make sure that you feel like we've had not a fulsome conversation because we could talk for hours on these topics, but is there anything that we need to point out or bring into people's minds or attention um, that we haven't covered or didn't get a chance to talk about today? Only that it's a lifelong journey. It's not a quick fix. I think both times we've talked about 400 years in the making plus, mm -hmm. um, you know, depending on what lens you're looking at this from. Of course. So there are no quick solutions and there's no quick way to resolve all of the anxiety, stress, pressures that we're feeling. I, I firmly believe that every small action matters. We're at a tipping point. We are at um, a point in history that the future generations will look back at and mm -hmm. say, um, my, my hope, my wish, my prayer is that they'll look back and say, okay, that generation did something right. And, um, and I also want to name that, um, uh, previous generations, th these are complex issues, um, mm -hmm. conscious, unconscious, um, you know, in whatever ways we have arrived here, we don't have to be stuck here. We don't have to give up or we don't mm -hmm. have to say um, um, it's, it's too overwhelming and we don't have to um, try to, to fix everything um, that, that has been calcified into the ways that they are right now. Sometimes we need to just let go of that and rebuild. What we need to be committed to is, mm -hmm. is a future that's different. And that's not always about um, dismantling, I think what's present for me right now is I have been talking about we have to decolonize, we have to demantle, dismantle, but we have to build because mm -hmm. some issues we will take another 400 years just untangling. And is right. that worth the creative energy or will that just become destructive energy? Are there spaces and are there issues point. and are there times that we just say, okay, that stops today and we're just going to build different. And for some things, yes, let's go back and look at the inequities and let's fix what we can. But um, it's a lifelong journey. So educate ourselves without getting stuck in analysis paralysis and then take action. Whatever that small step that you can that take. Is. And it may be just, uh, uh, maybe just watching or listening to the to the links that uh Yabo Man and I have collected and, and will have in the show notes here today as a as a really a, a very easy first step. And uh, I think the other thing is is to bring up the conversation with the people around you that are close to you and be in conversation in these topics because the more of us that are actively having these conversations um, out there in the world um, the more likely that the message will continue to spread and the better hope we have for action being taken collectively, even small actions, so yeah. that you know that people are trying and trying again, trying and doing. Hold the faith that any and everything you do matters. Uh, changes never happen by one big crescendo. It's always an accumulation of events and accumulation of actions. So Anything that you do to stay on a, on a positive change trajectory on these issues matter, matters. My name is Mike Dujardin. This is Yabom Gilton-Jackson. And 
this has been another in a series of conversations with leaders. Yabon, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation today. Um, I look forward to our next chat. Thank you.